the Bible, God's good book. God's good book cuts through the inflation of human nonsense every time. And the book of Genesis is doing that from the beginning and here in Genesis chapter 40 to 41. You see, Genesis is all about God's dream. And God's dream is getting put into words. Joseph, God's most famous dreamer of all dreamers, we've even, you know, most most non-Christians know about Joseph the dreamer because they've seen Joseph's technicolor dream code or something like that. But anyhow, God's dreamer, Joseph, is really just dreaming God's big dream. So come on in. Let's check this out together. channel. We're always glad somebody's showing up because we like talking about God's words. Why do we like talking about God's words? Because that's the normal way God speaks to us. The normal way God speaks to us is through the Bible. Um, it's not uh, weird. It's just usual. Anyhow, we need words. We need good words. And we need to read the Bible a lot better because the Bible gives us the best words on the planet, guaranteed. And when we put the words that God gives us into our lives and into our hearts, we ring the chamois of this life out to its fullest potential. And that's what God wants for you. That's what God wants for me. And that's what we want to help the process along here at the Biblical Channel. Just read your Bibles better for Pete's sakes, anyhow, or for God's sakes. Anyhow, before we dive into Genesis chapter 40 and 41, let us pray like Jesus taught us how to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have debts against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. We come here to see Jesus in him only and to hear God speak to us just by talking about God the way he talks to us. He's given us words, my friends. So let's jump into these words together. Bam. All right, here we go. We're off and we're our are Two chapters are Genesis chapter 40 and 41. And Genesis chapter 40 starts off like this. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers and he put them in custody. And the captain of the guard uh, put Joseph in charge of them. And so the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them. He tended them and he continued for, with them for some time in custody. All right. The scene is set. Joseph is in prison. We already knew that from Genesis chapter 39. He went from being a slave to now a prisoner. I'm not sure which is worse or which is better. Both of them seem pretty miserable to me. Both of them seem to put you on the bottom of the food chain of this world's life. And that's where Joseph is. He's at the bottom of the food chain. But that's exactly where God wants him to be. Joseph uh, is now with the cupbearer and the baker of Pharaoh. And they've gotten into trouble with Pharaoh. 
Joseph, so far, though, has kept his chin up. He's been working hard. The, um, the warden or the, you know, whoever's in charge of Pharaoh's prison has put Joseph basically in charge because he's just a good worker. No matter where he is, no matter how low his circumstances are, he puts his best foot forward and he rises to the top. Word of advice for all of us. No matter where you are, put your best foot forward. It's your best chance of rising to the top. Anyhow, Joseph has his chin up. He's doing his best. And uh, we also know that Joseph is a dreamer. Joseph has dreams. And not only that, but Joseph interprets dream. In fact, that's the tension in this story. Joseph's dreams uh, in, in the beginning actually got him into all this, this trouble because his dreams and his interpretation of dreams, well, that's what made his brothers um, angry with him and they hated him for it. Uh, Joseph <laughs> seems to make everybody mad by just being a good guy. Oh, that is the biblical point of view. If you want to make people mad in this world, just be a good person, man. It'll drive a lot of people absolutely crazy. It's part of the weird part of this world. It's a world where Cain kills Abel for no good reason. Remember that in Genesis as well. Anyhow, in our story, um, you know, it's this tension of dreams that is now going to resurface. Um, and remember, it really is a tension for us. We haven't even been told yet that Joseph dream, Joseph's dreams are from God. Um, even his father, uh, if we remember right, you know, was a little bit doubtful as to whether or not uh, Joseph's dreams were from God, especially when his dad, Jacob, found out that, uh, well, he would have to bow to Joseph. Um, Jacob thought, really? I can see why your brothers might have to bow to you, but me? Oh, anyhow. Okay, so that's kind of the setup and the tension of the story, and it moves on. So one night in this prison, you know, the cupbearer and the baker, they have dreams, verse 5. And Joseph comes to them in the morning and he sees that their faces are all downcast or pouting and they're, you know, you know, down on themselves. And of course, uh, you know, Joseph says, hey, what's up, fellas? Uh, what, or sh shall we say, what's down, fellas? Why, why are your faces so downcast? And they tell Joseph, they're like, hey, man, we had dreams and there's nobody here to interpret our dreams. Okay. Here's uh, the beginning of the action, because Joseph says to them, Joseph says to them these words, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Whew. Okay, so the cupbearer and the baker, they're rattled by their dreams, right? And then it's made worse because, well, not only has, it's made worse by the fact that both of them have had a dream. And it seems like they've told each other their dreams, and both of them are scratching their heads, and both of them are a little bit nervous, it seems, because they've both had dreams, and they're both waiting for their sentences, you know, from Pharaoh, and that seems to be what makes them the most nervous. They feel like these dreams must have something to do with their sentencing, Okay, so they're nervous, and they want somehow to know what these dreams might mean to their sentencing, and they reveal their concerns to old Joe. So Joe steps into this conversation with some massive confidence, but as he steps into this, conf this, this 
scene uh, with the cupbearer and the baker with confidence, he also gives to them a very big warning. And you can't miss that. That's part, it's the most important thing at this point that Joseph says that I think a lot of people miss on. And that is that Joseph makes it clear, hey, interpretations belong to God, right? Now, I'm not sure if they agree or not, but Joseph says, go ahead, tell them to me. We can see here that Joseph, at least Joseph has the point of view that his talents or his skill set that, uh, well, he has dreams and interprets dreams actually come from God. Well, anyhow, let's take a commercial break here for a second and admit something. And that is that dreams have been and always will be very important for human beings. I mean, it's just we are silly with them. We are silly with our dreams. Um, and and God makes things more complicated maybe for us in the Bible because God unapologetically uses dreams in his storyline. Okay, And so the conclusion that we run away with is that our dreams must be messages from God and you know, what we end up doing is making a train wreck, a runaway train wreck of people thinking that God is trying to talk to them in their dreams. Worse yet, we've got a whole bunch of people to think that God is actually talking to them in their dreams. But we got to hear Joseph's warning really loud and clear. Do not interpretations belong to God. Okay, so what are we to do with that cautionary tale? Well, Joseph's words of caution are huge for the cupbearer and the baker, as well as for us. Only God interprets dreams, which gives us that big impression, slow down because only God can really be an interpreter of dreams. Conclusion, if someone offers up an interpretation of a dream, they better have the confidence that God has done the interpreting, not the person. It better be true. And so biblically, biblically, and again, we're still in our little commercial break here. Biblically, we're going to find out that prophets are given dreams and interpretations from God. But at this stage in God's developing story, prophets are not yet a thing. Prophets are not really defined at all or set up um, in this. That's going to come a little bit later in Moses. But for right now, once we hear from Moses and we look backwards a little bit, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and now Joe are technically prophets. Because when Moses steps into the scene to actually do the defining of prophets and prepares Israel um, to have a future of having prophets— you know, he makes it very clear. Moses makes it very clear that if a false prophet arises among you, just put them to death. Give them over to God. <laughs> Send them to their maker, you know, Moses says, which makes, you know, the whole idea of false propheting or false 
dream interpretations, well, very risky business. You better make sure that this is from God because Moses says there is no time and no space in our lives for false prophets who wrongly interpret dreams and give wrong dreams. Prophets, um, biblically speaking, are supposed to be chosen by God for one reason, to advance God's big dream. And God's big dream, biblically speaking, was made very clear to Abraham that God has every intention on bringing his blessing to the whole entire world, but he's going to do it through the people that he picks, like Abraham. We don't get to be picking and choosing who is going to have God's dreams. God does the picking and the choosing as to who has God's dream and who is actually working on God's dream. Jo Joseph, in our little story here, Joe is full of Joe confidence. He issues a huge warning, though, that says, you know, this is from God, right? You know, that's the effect that he has when he tells the, uh, the baker and the cupbearer, oh, I'll be happy to help. But this stuff's coming from God. You're prepared, right? And so that big message that Joseph is delivering at this point, and he's going to do the same thing again here when he goes before Pharaoh. And I don't want to jump ahead of the story, but this, this warning Joseph makes is very clear. You know this is from God, right? And, you know, only interpreting, you know, interpreting dreams is only a God thing, Right. It's not a normal thing. What is Joseph making clear to all of us in this story? Interpreting dreams is not a normal thing. God does not jump into everybody's life willy-nilly to communicate with them through dreams. It's an unusual thing. God does use it, but it is an unusual thing, and it has to fit in with God's big dream. You can't go off the reservation so to speak. So that is a huge cautionary tale for all of us. The normal way that God will speak to us, well, we'll cover that in a minute. Well, but the normal way is not by speaking to us in our dream. Can God do it? Of course he can. Of course he can. But you better hear Joseph's warning loud and clear. It's not normal. It's not usual. And so, we need to listen to George Washington, who, as a 13-year-old, wrote out a list of things that would, you know, most likely advance his career. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love a 13-year-old that sits down and writes out things that advance your career. You know what I mean? So you stay focused. George Washington was that kind of guy. But George Washington, in his list of things that were going to make him successful, makes it very clear. Keep your dreams to yourself. Don't be running around telling your dreams to other people. You know why? Because our dreams are, you know, half-baked ideas in our own imagination, in our own twists, in our own weirdness. You know, listen, and I speak to my own experience. I am a dreamer, but I would probably classify most of my dreams as nightmares. They are weird. They are twisted. They are deformed. They are wild. I've gotten used to them, but some of them used to scare the bejesus out of me, um, mostly because of my wild, untamed imagination. 
Now, funny, my wife tells me that she hardly ever has dreams. In fact, when she has a dream in the middle of the night, it makes her mad because she didn't get a good night's sleep. But George Washington is on to something. We need to really keep our dreams to ourselves, and we need to laugh them off and move on because God has given us more reliable things to stay focused on. All right, let's keep going with our story here. And uh, the story goes on as the cupbearer uh, tells his dream to Joseph in verse 9. And his dream has something to do with a vine that buds, and then he ends up, you know, pouring wine into Pharaoh's cup. You know, so basically, you know, jo uh, the cupbearer jumps onto Joseph's offer, and he's like, yeah, 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 I want to know. And the cupbearer gets good news. Because Joseph says, hey, guess what? I know the interpretation of your dream, and that is Pharaoh is going to restore your position. Everything's going to be fine. No problem. And then Joseph, knowing that he gave him a good outcome for his dream, knew that he would be in Pharaoh's ear. Joseph has a simple ask. He's like, hey, before you go, only remember me when it goes well with you. Um, do me a kindness and mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house, for I was stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Okay, so Joseph just says, hey, I gave you your interpretation. I did you a favor. Can you do me a favor? Well, guess what? Uh, when the baker hears that the cupbearer got good news, the baker says, yeah, 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 do me too, do me too. And Joseph listens to his dream that has something to do with baskets of uh, you know, cake, which are not really important, but Joseph says, okay, I've got the interpretation for you. Um, and here it goes. Uh, in three days, Pharaoh's going to lift up your head, which is hilarious because he told the cupbearer that Pharaoh was going to lift up his head and restore him. But now he tells the baker, he said, yeah, Pharaoh's going to lift up your head too from your body. He's going to hang you from a tree and the birds of the flesh are going to eat you. <laughs> ah, some fun um, uh, tension in the store. So the story. So the baker is certainly not happy. He got bad news. The Pharaoh's going to hang you, Joseph says. And then, and then on the third day in verse 20, on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hands, but he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. <laughs> so interesting, right? Um, if you've read the book of Genesis, you know by now that the third day just keeps coming up, and the third day is always something important going on. Something important, you know, when the third day is mentioned, something important happens, which is really wild because, you know, 1,500 years later, 1,500 years plus later, Jesus Christ is also going to have something very important happen to him on the third day. It's amazing how the Bible, through the course of time, keeps up with its own ideas. 
Well, anyhow, let's let's not get too distracted with that for a minute. Pharaoh has a birthday party um, three days later, and indeed, everything that Joseph said was going to happen, happened. And it uh, turns out that the cupbearer is a moral jagoff because when he wants help, you know, he's, he's all Mr. Nice Guy, but then he doesn't help others. I'm sorry, but God seems to know us very well. We want help, but we don't give help. That is the pattern of a lot of our lives. When we need help, oh, we want for it, we want it and we beg for it, but then do we turn around and give that help to others? Mm, not so much. Well, anyhow, for us, the reader, Joseph has developed some credibility here. It does seem like his dreams and his interpretations of dreams really are from God, which is pretty neat. Yeah. So then the story goes on, and we are told that after two whole years, Pharaoh has a dream. And this dream that Pharaoh has deeply troubles him. So in the, you know, down in verse eight in the morning, Pharaoh's spirit was deeply troubled. He sent and he called for all the magicians of Egypt and all of his wise men. He told them this dream. Nobody could interpret that dream to Pharaoh. So, um, you know, the chief cupbearer says to Pharaoh, oh, 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 wait a minute. I remember my offenses today. Oh, I remember there was a, a guy in prison with me, blah, 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 blah. And so here's the thing. This, this cupbearer, he really is a jagoff because now, now when it benefits him, he says, oh, I remember this guy that was able to interpret dreams. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember, I forgot all about that guy. He didn't forget about him. It benefits the cupbearer now to be the guy who comes to Pharaoh with the guy who might be able to interpret his dreams, right? That's why he stands up. Does God know us or what? So anyhow, the chief cupbearer, I think, is most of us in this life. You know, we, we only do things uh, when they benefit us. Well, anyhow, and we also like jumping on other people's coattails. So, you know, the cupbearer clearly plans on jumping on Joseph's good coattails of dream interpretation um, and hopefully is going to get, uh, you know, some sort of benefit out of this. So Pharaoh calls up Joseph. And, and, and right now the plot has thickened, hasn't it? Because the tension now, it has risen to its ultimate capacity. We know what's going on here. And that is that Pharaoh got nowhere to go, but Joe and, 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 and since he has nowhere to go but Joe, Joe has just entered onto the stage. And with Joe entering onto the stage, the tension has increased immensely. So Joseph, you know, steps onto the stage. Pharaoh says, I've got a dream. Joseph says, just what he told the other two. He says, hey, it's not within me, but God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So once again, Joseph says, what I'm about to tell you is coming from God. Joseph is making it clear. I am only a messenger. I am just a worm. I am just a, you know, caterpillar. You know, maybe God is going to turn me into a butterfly, but I'm just a worm here. I'll give you your, your interpretation and I, it'll be from God. So Joseph gives his warning once again, and the effect is, you sure you want it, you know, 
But for Joe, we have to imagine that the, the tension is that he's on the big stage now. He's in the big show. He's in front of Pharaoh, and he may die if he is wrong. And he also might die if the dream is not pleasing to Pharaoh. And Joe really doesn't know whether or not Pharaoh will be pleased with the dream. He tells Pharaoh that it's going to be favorable, but he really doesn't know what's coming either. So it seems like, you know, I mean, a fair assessment here is that Joe's confidence is actually so high that God gives him interpretations to dreams that he doesn't really care how, what the outcome is. And that's the kind of guy that we want. We want a guy with some integrity, and Joe has been that guy of integrity. Joe clearly, by now, has a special relationship with God. Now, that special relationship does not put him in a special circumstance up to now. He's a slave. He's in prison. He works hard. His special gift that God has given him is really just hard work. And it's through his hard work that he gets noticed, you know, by, you know, the one who enslaved him, Pontifor, and then, uh, you know, the, the uh, prison warden, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, so Joseph says to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. And basically what Joe is able to tell him is that the dream that Pharaoh has indicates that there are seven years of good you know, crops coming, but there's seven years of famine after that. And you're going to have to get ready for those seven years of famine. All right, so that brings us to verse 37. The, Pharaoh, the, the proposal pleased Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says exactly what God wants him to say. This proposal pleased Pharaoh, verse 37, and all of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne, I will be greater than you. And so basically, Pharaoh puts Joseph in clear control over everything. Joseph was 30 years old by now. Whenever he entered into the service of Pharaoh, we're told in verse 46. Um, and then in verse 50, before the famine comes, uh, Joseph has two sons uh, born to him. Seems like he married uh, one of the you know, uh, uh, prominent officials in Pharaoh's court. Uh, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. Okay, that's good stuff. And then verse 53, the seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end and seven years of famine began to come. And Joseph, just like Joseph had said, there was famine in all the lands, but in the land of Egypt, there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to the Egyptians, go to Joseph. 
Do what he says to do. When the famine had spread over the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. So let's go back to the top, and that is Pharaoh says it best. Joseph is filled with the Spirit of God. So the mystery is now no longer a mystery. Joseph is able to do what he is able to do because the Spirit of God is on Joseph, in Joseph, and Pharaoh can see it. We, you know, this is the story of Joseph's life, though. Joseph always wears his relationship with God on his sleeve. He makes it very clear to everybody that the most important thing going on is God, not him. And so, you know, Joseph is filled with God's wisdom. Joseph is blessed. But when Joseph is blessed, it's Joseph who blesses Pharaoh and all of Egypt, which is exactly the dream of God. Not the dream of Joseph, but the dream of God. It is God's intention to bring his blessing through the people that he chooses to the wider community of blessing people in all nations and peoples. What's clear is that God has given Joseph something very special in the dream revelation department. And the reason why God has given him this special revelation is so that God can advance his own dream, not Joseph's dream. Joseph knows this, the question is, do we know that? Can we see that that is the main action in this storyline? That Joseph isn't, you know, giving people his dreams. He's given people God's dreams. God is going to reveal himself. God will reveal himself. God wants us to know him. And the only way that we could ever know God is if God reveals himself because he's personal. The only way that persons can know persons is if they reveal themselves. It's the only way that it can work. And so God, yes, intends to reveal himself, but at the same time, the way that God reveals himself has to be controlled. So this part of the Bible addresses a very common problem that human beings have always had, and that is we run away like a train wreck thinking that God is trying to talk to us in our dreams. But Joseph is saying, no, 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 that is not how God is going to talk with people. The way that God is going to talk with people, the way that God is going to reveal himself to people is going to be through his special revelation of unusual suspects. So God picks some very unusual suspects for his unusual revelation for the sake of his revelation being available to usual people in a usual way. So the Torah, the Torah is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The first five books are the primary revelation of God. God here in Genesis is about to write his book, 
with his characters. So Genesis is setting up the stage for Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, where the whole story, the primary part of the story, is going to get written down. God is writing his book so that the whole world can be blessed by knowing God. There is absolutely nothing better for human beings to feel as though they're blessed by God and that they are known by God. And Joseph himself is the pattern of prophets to come. He is just a worm. And Joseph would be the first one to admit that he is just a worm. Yes, indeed, God is going to turn him into a butterfly of being his messenger and being his dream interpreter, like the prophets that Moses will define later on. And prophets, as Moses defines, you know, in just another 500 years, are only going to have one mission, and that is to reveal God's blessing in the course of history so others can be blessed. You see, the Bible makes it very clear. God decides the course of history. The Bible is God's course in history. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, later Moses, are going to form the story that God is going to tell us all. That's why we're reading about Joseph, because this is the story that God is telling us all. But the story that God is telling us all is also going to be nicknamed the bread of life, which is very uh, uh, telling for us to really read the ending of this part of the story correctly, because the tension, the tension here is that Joseph with God's, you know, help, has actually helped Egypt receive real bread because of the grain that he stored up for seven years in times of plenty for the seven years of famine. But it will be Moses that makes it clear that God, or I'm sorry, that man cannot live on bread alone. Jesus himself will reinforce what Moses tells us, and that is man cannot live on bread alone. When we say that in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, yes, we want the kind of bread that Joseph made happen for Egyptians in, all, in the whole entire land, right? But we also need the bread of life. We need the bread that God gives us, which is his words, and humans need God's words to ring out the chamois of our lives to its absolute fullest. Now, I want to go backwards just a little bit to also a very important set of words that Joseph has come out of his mouth. In verse 50 um, and 51 and 52, um, Joseph has words about the two sons that he has. The two sons that he has, he gives them specific names, and the names of his two sons have meaning that is going to set up the basis of why God is revealing himself to all of us and how we should receive the revelation of God in our lives. 
You see, Joseph is a prophet, even though a prophet hasn't been, uh, you know, defined quite yet. He is a prophet. And even though prophets aren't defined, Joseph is going to have words like a prophet has words that will form God's message to the whole, you know, population of people that are going to read throughout the Bible. Joseph defines the relationship that he has with God by naming his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh, Manasseh, the very name Manasseh means to forget hardships, even family hardships, because Joseph says, God has made me forget all my hardship in all my father's house meaning that the relationship that God and Joseph has have is a relationship that has helped Joseph to forget his hardships, the hardship of his family, stabbing him in the back and throwing him out for dead, right? And then he also defines his relationship with God through the name Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction, fruitful in our affliction. No matter where we are in the Bible, the takeaway is always the same, and that is when we know God, God makes us happy, just like Joseph is telling us. When we truly know God, we are able now to forget our hardships, even the hardships of family. And when we truly know God, he makes us fruitful even in our afflictions. There is nobody in the Bible that demonstrates this more than Joseph. Joseph was a hardworking dude. No matter what his afflictions were, he put hard work into action. He was fruitful no matter what his afflictions were. If you really want a picture of what it means to know God, these two F words, forgetting hardships and fruitful in our afflictions, form the backbone of God's message to us, to hang in there, to be known by him, to be blessed by him, is to have our hardships forgotten and to have our, you know, afflictions actually turn out to be fruitful in our lives. That's the biblical message. That's what it looks like to be blessed by God. That's what helps us to bring the chamois of this life out to its best. Joseph is the pattern for his story, for God's story. Joseph is delivered from slavery to become God's man for the job. Joseph delivers his people and the Egyptian people with bread. Moses, too, will deliver God's people to be a nation of priests for the nations. Jesus will deliver God's people from the slavery of sin and sends them into the nation with the good news that come to God to have your hardships forgotten and to be fruitful in your afflictions. All of God's characters are unexpected underdogs. Joseph sets up Moses and the prophets of Israel, and they set up Jesus, who is the ultimate underdog, who dies on a cross to actually become the ruler of the world. Not the storyline that we as humans would expect, but this is the storyline that God gives us and the storyline that 
lifts us from our hardships and lifts us from our afflictions. God is writing his story so that we can all be blessed. The normal way that God speaks to us is through the Bible and reading his stories, not through hoping that he might communicate to us through dreams. I'm not saying that God won't ever speak to anybody through dreams, but he will never go away from the normal way that he speaks to us, which is in the story that he has created, that he has written. And he has created this story out of human lives that are the most unusual of suspects to give us the usual message that will lift us from our hardships and from our afflictions. This is God's story. And this is God speaking to each and every one of us. Hear Joseph and hear his words. He is prophetic. And God has given us Joseph to hear these words. All right, we're going to wrap up our time right there. Thanks for hanging. Catch you next time.